that's where it's all at. He says, I'm reaching up, 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 up. And he lives up. Left behind his copper. Yeah, left behind his pretty ones. And now he's reaching out into some kind of inner galactical miracle. Some sort of chaos. Reaching around his brain. Really This may all be happening right now. It's coming to your galaxy this summer. Rebellion and romance. Aliens from a thousand worlds. Unlike anything on your planet. 20th Century Fox and George Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Wiki Genome Project, the podcast about everything Star Wars that isn't Star Wars, but also with some Star Wars. I'm Diamond Rob Russo, the guy who totally still does this podcast, and with me today is... Hey, I'm Kitty. Um, I don't know how many people actually knew me, I guess. I've been around a little bit, not really in the podcasting world, just more in like the hey meetup world. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I know Katie from I know you from uh, I guess I can talk to you directly. I don't have to <laughs> speak to you about you in the third person. Um, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I just lose track of who I'm talking to in these things. It's totally like, fine. Eighty percent of my life is podcasted in some form or another, so it's it's uh, there's a lot of audience confusion. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the yeah, Katie, uh, you and I know each other from uh, just like being in like the greater New York City area and we see each other at uh, meetups and stuff like that. Um, which if you're in this area and you, and you haven't been to like a Rogue One Star Wars podcast for winners type meetup with uh, Johnny Grosso and, the, and those guys um, or uh, and then uh, Steel came. Um, I mean, I don't even know whether I need to like explain because nobody listens to this show who doesn't already know those other shows. So, yeah. So that's like that's that's how we know each other. But also like Katie's just like a uh, a very uh, I would say like scholarly kind of mind mindset about about these things like even uh, like way more so than me actually and way more disciplined than me so i, I you know i just kind of i i uh, that's why i gave you this kind of like standing offer like anytime you want to come on the show and talk about something just go ahead <laughs> like whatever you want to do you're, you're you're being really nice i just get bored like, uh, well, <laughs> there's so much to this yeah i mean i don't know what compels me to do it but um <laughs> It's kind of weird. Like, so, I mean, I got to explain because I, there's like another podcast that's going to come out before this one that is, uh, it's all about, um, it's getting like some kind of like not huge super Star Wars fans, like reactions to The Last Jedi. And I recorded it like actually when that was relevant. <laughs> and I haven't put it up yet because I've been so busy with other stuff. Like my other podcast, the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast has, mm-hmm. it's, uh, our editor had to, had to, had to move on to, to greener pastures. Um, in less uh, mind-numbing work, and so I have to do that. And then on top of that, I'm working on something with the uh, Hosber Cart and, and Will Witten of Blue Harvest fame that I, I'm not at liberty to discuss just yet. But it's going to be really cool. But it t- also takes like a ridiculous amount of preparation time. Um, and so I've been doing that. And uh, in this one, so like the weird, the it's kind of funny because like the last episode. I did before I kind of went off the air for a while was the one where I was like right after I came back from last Jedi and I was so confused and it's like a half hour of me, like wondering like, Oh my God, did I hate this movie? Like what's wrong? What's going to happen? Like, I don't, I feel weird. I mean, I wasn't negative to about it cause I enjoyed it, but like the first time I was just so um, like, it was, I think a, a lot of people had this experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. That was me. And I saw it twice in a row and I had to sleep on it before I woke up and I was like, okay, no, it's my favorite one. But like sitting there, I was like, and, and my two friends who we saw it with were like the same. It was like, I would never do a podcast about it the moment after I watched it. Mostly like my opinion changed more or less 180 on several things just by sleeping on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of the problem. I think going to these like late night premieres is that when you get back, like you really aren't in the right mindset, the process, what you saw, if it was anything challenging, like 
if it was something more like uh like your standard marvel movie i think it's like i don't have any problems dealing with those they're not that challenging or different i mean i guess infinity war is a little bit different yeah infinity war is the only one Uh, maybe winter soldier but yeah the the rest Mm. of them um black panther has a lot to go through but i don't think in like an emotional like my feelings about that movie have never changed it's just just, my perspective yeah i was just so dazzled by like all the crazy stuff going on in Black Panther that mm. I don't feel like, I mean, I was having like, it was a crowded theater and it's like so many kids were just like whooping it up, just having a great time. And it just like, yeah, I don't know. Like you can't not feel good about a movie after that. And like last Jedi was like, people were kind of like walked out of that movie in a daze. Like yeah. I, I didn't get the impression that anyone was like, Oh, that was terrible. I didn't hear anybody say, Oh, that was awful. Like, I so I don't really know about that, but like, I, I just got home and I was like, I don't even know what I think about this. Like I, like I, I mean, I was kind of joking with steel before about like <clears throat> the first, like the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't even think I care what happens next. <laughs> it just kind of wraps up. And then the second time I saw it, I'm like, I don't even care what happens next. And it's just like, it's like, I was just on board. I'm like, yo, I get it. Like once I realized that there was no real sequel trilogy, there were like kind of like two movies that were a bookend to the original trilogy that kind of tell, like kind of wrap up that story. And then the next thing that happens is going to be, kind of the new character's story completely like and it's like everything old is going to be out of the way so yeah like, and and they did that like obviously literally but then um and i noticed this like the second time in terms of like where they were going because they like specifically put the like an allusion to the end of return of the jedi in the throne room scene as well as a very obvious allusion to the end of revenge of the sith so now that they've covered both of those bases they literally can do anything and i don't think they're going to repeat anything we've seen before and that was why they deliberately made those illusions now yeah i think long story short like my opinion about the movie is that the only way i'm gonna sour on last jedi is if they don't earn it with the next one if you don't earn this then if you just go back to business as usual, then it's not really, then I think last Jedi kind of is diminished in, in a sense, just because of what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It won't, it won't have done it, but I, I hope that's not what's going to, I'd hope they know better. Um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, that's what we don't need to, t- <laughs> this is like a discussion that's been going on for like months now. Oh, I so, know. Uh, but we will talk about that movie because, uh, for this show, um, anyway, I'll just continue the, the spiel here. There was an introduction that I interrupted myself. Um, <laughs> On this show, we explore the pop culture DNA of the Star Wars films, the old adventure serials, cowboy films, comic books, pulp fiction, and in this case, scholarly quasi-nonfiction um, that shaped <laughs> the saga. Way to put it. <laughs> the, that shaped the saga we know and love today. Uh, this episode explores Carlos Castaneda's Tales of Power, which is a uh, quasi-nonfiction book about American Indian shamanism, and that was a major influence on just the very concept of a Jedi master and. Uh, like you, you get it from right from the first chapters. So should we just like just go ahead and jump, jump, uh, jump in on this one? Yeah, I think just a little bit of background. This is the it's the fourth book in the series, which I didn't realize after I read it, which is probably why I was like slightly confused. Actually, I was more <laughs> than slightly confused on a lot of this. Um, I think a lot of it is you can kind of interpret it how you want. Uh, I think that's probably the point, but essentially it follows Castaneda as he's finishing up his teachings from this sorcerer named Don Juan. Um, and, and it was, it was what it was published in 1974 and it was really influential to the, the new age movement in the 1970s. Yes. Uh, very. Yeah. And it focused on this idea of, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. It's a, uh, the Nagul, which whenever I read it, it it's N A G U A L. Whenever I read it, I just think Nazgul from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so like, that's okay, not glad it. That wasn't just me. No, but, um, I mean, it, it's this idea that, that humans can see into this unknown realm. It, it's reachable, but it's still relatively abstract, which, you know, to me is clearly, wow, okay, that's the force. Th- mm-hmm. There's a lot in here, and, and that's what we're going to go through and unpack. Yeah, so. Just to continue, that that was a great introduction. So, um, yeah, Carlos Castaneda started uh, like it's hard because for for purposes of this show, we're going to assume that what he's talking about happened on some level. But just take everything you hear with a grain of salt, because it's really I mean, I'll talk about that kind of at the end because it's more fun to discuss it at first, because it seems like. He, okay, so he was an anthropology student, doctoral student at, at UCLA in like the 60s. He was kind of in and out of the program. And at some point, 
uh, it was time to do his doctoral thesis. And he, uh, he wrote this book. Um, what was the first one called? Was it just the teachings of Don? No, that was a later one. It was, um, I, I have no idea. I failed at this part of the research. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I'll just, we're just going to Wikipedia this. Um, <laughs> this is, this is the kind of preparation that, uh, this is why I make the big bucks. <laughs> um, Google. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I, I Starting with the teachings of Don Juan in yeah, 1968. Okay, I was right. I should. I shouldn't have doubted myself. I'm I not, know that's uh, what the series is called. So I didn't realize. I guess the first one's just right. So the first, the first one, yeah, came, it, it was published as a book later, but it was first. It was submitted as his his thesis, and it, he got his doctorate in anthropology. And it was, but it's kind of a very unorthodox thesis. It's probably something that you could definitely get away with in the 60s. And probably not so much today, because basically what he did was, or what he says he did was that he went out into like the desert around like New Mexico, Mexico, that area. Can I just and, preface? This is how all, how I got high on mushroom stories start. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so he goes out there and he basically just like did a bunch of psychotropic drugs with See? a guy named Don Juan, right? You got it. Um, uh, I, I believe it is peyote. Is the idea. Although in this book, in Tales of Power, he's supposedly moved on from that. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah. So the idea was that you you put yourself in this altered state and then the shaman guides you on like a spirit spiritual journey through this like dreamlike realm of where, where it's like kind of our world, but it's sort of not our world. And um, that is – so you have all – so he could submit that. And I think the reason why he – needed to say that he was on peyote the whole time is that like i don't think that the thesis would have been taken as seriously if he just said all this stuff was like in this book i don't think this tales of power could have been used as a as a uh strictly scholarly work um because it's just so like the supernatural stuff that happens and it has no like chemical explanation yeah so you know it's so but anyway that was that was so he got his he got his phd um and uh the book was i guess it was one of the professors at ucla suggested that the the school publishing house publish it and they did and it kind of became like the slow burning cultural underground phenomenon that that just kept getting bigger and bigger until tales of power came out a few years later and so he kept writing he continued the story of his his learning from this this shaman don juan and uh and this book's kind of like the end of his his formal training with Don Juan. Like it ends mm. um, in like a very, uh, I mean, I don't know, I mean, we're not to spoil it sooner or later, but it ends with like a grand like spiritual event of sorts, like a, a test that he passes. But the interesting thing is that, um, and this is, and I should say this is one of the uh, the few books that we know for a fact that George Lucas was reading and considering as he was writing the original star Wars, because we've seen his notes on Obi-Wan Kenobi on Ben Kenobi. So Ben at this point was like, it wasn't really clear what a Jedi Knight did. And for a long time, it wasn't, but a Jedi like in exile as, as like a master, as a teacher, uh, George's notes would say something like, I think, uh, you know, he did a lot of like brainstorming in the margins type stuff. And so one of the things I, I believe is like, you know, talking about the stuff that Ben Kenobi can do is like, you know, can commune with animals, can speak uh, strange languages like Don Juan. And he's referring specifically to this book. And then it goes on from there because like there are parts of Yoda's dialogue from The Empire Strikes Back that are lifted almost directly um, in some cases from like the first chapters of this book. There's a lot that I think is lifted directly. And and I don't think it was just Obi-Wan. Um, I saw more of Don Juan and Yoda, uh, obviously – you know, Obi-Wan at, at the stage that we meet him in the OT, he's, you know, around where, where Yoda is, at least in, you know, the master figure. Um, and, and Luke is very much like Castaneda. Um, and, and this is something, and, and we'll go through this, but this is something that, that I think, and I'm going to argue hard for, goes into The Last Jedi specifically, and it, it follows Luke. And honestly, I we don't have any evidence that Ryan no. read it, because I, I, I've seen the books that Ryan has read, and it was more like Bly and Young and more psychoanalytic stuff, but right. um, I don't know. Like we'll, we'll get into it, but I just a lot of this stuff is like <sighs> real uncanny. Yeah, it's. I mean, in some in some respects, that's a product of the of the man's work itself of Castaneda's like style, because I guess we might as well just get into this now. Like it is a hotly debated uh, topic, or was for a while anyway, within 
the the scholarly community of whether any of this actually happened. And not just because he talks about fantastic things, but because like, for instance, the periods of time where he said that he was doing these journeys with Don Juan, somebody went to the UCLA library and found that he had checked out books from the library during those same times. Wait, people actually believe that this happened? Um, yeah. I mean, I outside mean, of like a group of people who, yeah. like, who followed him? Well, I mean, the, 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 the the thesis like advisory board or whatever it was like must mm. have believed him or else it wouldn't have been approved i think i love the 60s it's crazy I mean, <laughs> now i haven't read teachings of don juan the original but I, my guess is that first of all a lot of it is him on drugs yeah. so you can talk about crazy stuff and there's a lot of like you're talking about the experience of meeting a person like this of going through this like spiritual initiation and the guy is his anthropology bona fides are legit like he he knew what he was talking about in in a sense like so even if he were making it up he could do a good job of making because he would know what to what to do and if he says he's on drugs how can you say like oh like well that didn't really happen it's like of course it didn't really happen he was just like alone naked in the desert like imagining stuff um well and and i'll just defend the i guess the exploration of maybe the psychological benefits of of hard drugs. I've never done them, but just speaking in terms of I, I work in high tech and like a bunch of like the tech CEOs or just this is public knowledge. I'm not, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, who is it? Like Google CEO is like a big burning man guy. Like, yeah. and that's just, you know, they have this philosophy like, yeah, no, like do what you need to do. Clear your mind. Like, like there's there's certain benefits that people will argue for. So if he was going from that angle, I, I get it. Um, yeah. But trying to like <laughs> sell it as like this happened to me is <laughs> just I love the 60s. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and this is like it gets into uh, like there's. Uh, like it's a weird time to be talking about this now because there's like been major breakthroughs, uh, or maybe not major, but minor breakthroughs recently in like the therapeutic use of, of psychotropic drugs mm-hmm. or not psychotropic, psycho, psychoactive, um, psycho, psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. of, uh, like LSD and things like psilocybin, um, which is just magic mushrooms, you know? Um, so, and, and that they have profound effects on people who are struggling with addiction and depression that is not treatable by, ordinary medicine and treatment. Um, so, but a lot of this was like, kind of like banished to the wastes in the seventies because it was considered too dangerous. And also it was like a countercultural thing and in a lot of ways. Like, you know, like if you know who Timothy Leary was, he was a Harvard professor who was advocating for the use of, of these drugs to in for psychiatric purposes. And, but because he became a counterculture figure, basically torpedoed his own initiative um, and was jailed a couple times and all that. Um, and now we're also having like this weird kind of thing happening in, in virtual reality about, I mean, there have been experiments done that show that like when you put somebody in a different kind of body, like for example, an animal body in virtual reality. Right. Yeah. That Stanford experiment. Yeah. And they will actually try to move and their brain will light up to move appendages that they don't actually have. Mm-hmm. And one thought is that this is like going all the way back to like, like weird, like lizard brain or like amoeba brain, I guess. Um, like cellular memories or DNA memories or something. It's nobody really knows what's going on, but there's all kinds of amazing stuff that's happening and bending your mind and freaking you out. Oh yeah. Um, no, like not to get too much on a tangent. Like I work in mixed reality and sorry, let me, let me skip around my NDA for a second here. <laughs> what can I say? So, I mean, I'll just say I, I, I've worked a little bit in, in VR, but with like AR or augmented reality and mixed reality, it goes the step farther. I mean, especially mixed reality, because a lot of the stuff that you see, like your brain can't tell a difference between what's there and what's not actually there. Hmm. Um, and now I'm just, I'm going to stop there. Cause I'm going to like, I, I don't know. Sorry. My NDA yeah, is crazy, but no, but just, yeah. So that's, that's a very you know, real thing happening right now in terms of how computing is getting to these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these augmented states of consciousness where it's just, your brain can't tell in the virtual world what's real versus what's not. Um, and then also just really quick going back to what you were saying, like why this conversation got shut down in terms of the benefits of drugs. I'm not going to go off on a rant about this because I could, but yeah. you know, I, I've, I used to work in DC and I was like, I've been in lobbying meetings with big pharma and man, they will shut down anything that sounds logical that they can't make money off of. And I think, again, I do not want to launch into this debate, but it is a very real, right. <laughs> like, that's a big factor, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think also at the time is like a lot of stuff at the same time this was happening is there was stuff that was getting kind of released in the public about 
experiments that were done in the 50s and 60s with uh, u- of like kind of weaponized uses of psychedelic uh, drugs and all these mm-hmm. experiments that were done at various levels of like ethicalness um, in attempts like mind control programs and stuff. And you've actually talked about that um, at length on a different podcast that was on the um, what was the cantina cast. Yeah. Yeah. It was maybe like about a year ago, I'd say. I don't Almost. know if it was that long ago. I honestly don't. I, I don't know. Time is not something yeah. I'm very good at measuring these days. Um, um, I, I, yeah. So if you're interested in that topic, you should go and listen to the Cantina cast that Katie was on. I have. Was, okay. But here's the thing. Really quick aside. Mm-hmm. So I that podcast I know came out before Phasma came out, the, the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that confirmed a lot of the stuff I was talking about. And that was like really cool to read because some of like the like down to like the words subliminal messaging showed up in there. So I've done a lot of revising. There was more stuff in The Last Jedi. So it's still somewhat where my original thinking is, but it's it's been expanded upon considerably. Oh, it's uh, your yours is a mind forever voyaging. I think people will appreciate that. <laughs> Whereas with me, my opinions are set in stone and they're based on almost nothing and they never change. Okay, that's um, not true because you convinced me that Revenge of the Sith was not as great as I thought it was. Well, see, that's that's the kind of thing that's like, did I make the world a better place by doing that? No, I didn't. I just made you like not appreciate something as much as you might have. It's not good. Like, I don't want to be... Okay, anyway, moving on. So, well, yeah, a long story short is just something I said about 20 minutes ago. Um, yeah, like, it's so it's, it's really unclear. There's, like, some good evidence that he plagiarized some of the quotes. Uh, I seriously doubt whatever he did with Don Juan that he was actually um, writing everything down all the time, which is, like, he makes a huge point of that in this book, that he's always writing things down. Which Don Juan actually has to like specifically says like it's okay for you to do this. That's part of your journey. Which is like okay. I mean, I, it seems like the exact opposite of like that's the kind of like very right brain type like focus on getting the details right. That seems like it would be like literally every other tradition I've heard of that is any kind of like spiritual initiation thing would say not to do that um, because it's you're trying to make sense of things that you're not supposed to be making sense of. But and then and then the guy ended up like kind of. Uh, dropping off the grid and kind of started a uh, quasi cult, like uh, sort of commune. I mean, it's hard to know for sure. There's a lot of questionable things that were going on. And um, he's apparently like, could be a pretty used. Uh, he was not, he, he was tapping into the dark side at a certain point. I'd say like he was dealing with manipulating people in a way that uh, seems completely antithetical to um I mean, basically, like people looked up to him as a god. They really believed he did all this stuff exactly the way he describes it, and it gave him all kinds of credibility that he uh, misused. And if you want, there's a great article on Salon.com. Just look up Castaneda Salon, and you'll find it. It's really long, and it's depressing as hell. But this is before he was doing stuff like that, as far as we know. So it's I don't feel so bad about it. And it is a very entertaining and thought-provoking book at times, when I can the parts of it I can understand. Um I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think so. My friend Joe was like, oh, okay, so should I read it? And my initial reaction was like, nope, yeah, don't, don't do it. Because you know what? Honestly, a lot of the things I love about this do show up in Star Wars and you can just watch Star Wars and honestly get what the book is going for. Um, okay. No, I'll take it back. There's some stuff on free will in this that I find very interesting that I'm not touching on because that's a huge rabbit hole for me. Um, but it did shed some light on how I think like one one of my favorite things is like free will and the force and how that works. And there's, you know, God, you can argue that a lot of different ways. Um, and, and this shed some light on that. But I, I was looking I was hyper focusing on Star Wars while reading this, of course. So mm. I was also with going in with a very particular lens. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's hard to, once you realize that it's it was such a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a major influence. I mean, there's a lot of things that we, like as much there's like George Lucas in particular took as much from Castaneda as he did from like the Lindsman science fiction novels, which are like kind of not particularly great, but very influential. I mean, the Jedi are basically like samurai plus Lindsman plus like a dash of Don Juan. In, I don't in know Yoda. if it's a dash. I mean, like I'm, with I'm Yoda, it's pages, more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think once we get into prequels, it's, I mean, the prequels are just more fleshed out, but I think, because I, I don't even touch the prequels in this, um, outside of, like, the four stream stuff, which we see in, you know, the OT, the PT, and the ST, so, but I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I've 
whatever. We'll go through it. I, I think it was a pretty big influence. Yeah, I mean... But I know a lot went into it. So, you know, it's also a lot of this stuff is like, it sounds like something that just comes from other religions as well. It, and in some cases it is. It's like quotations mm-hmm. from various, like, or paraphrasings of various things. But also in a sense, like, there are people who have, I mean, in, I mean, in my opinion, like, I've read a couple defenses of his work from the, like, around the 80s after it had been considered kind of thoroughly debunked. There was kind of like a backlash against the backlash. And these people, although they made some good points, they were also like kind of people who had sort of skin in the game um, where they were like, you know, spe- like in, in, in some cases they were like uh, uh, specialists in like the shamanic uh, traditions of, of like, uh, in one case, I think the Seminole Indians or something like that. And so they didn't want it to like, there was a, they had good reason not to, to, to keep this like present, but it doesn't really matter because I don't think any of these books have ever gone out of print is what I've heard. So they remain kind of popular on a low level to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can't remember where I was going. So I was just going to like, uh, do you want to start out with some of your, like just to read some lines so people will understand what kind of uh, level of stuff we're talking about here? Yeah, sure. So let me just go over some of the things I pulled out of what I think are general influences. Like one of the big things I do want to focus on is specifically Luke's characterization. And I have a lot of stuff on the Empire Strikes Back cave scene, as well as basically his whole arc in The Last Jedi. Um, But yeah, so let me just first go over some just general things where I'm like, yeah, right. So that I think Lucas saw and put in to the um the original trilogy um so i want to start with the one that i think is probably most reaching but i think there's some inspiration there so the book opens with a poem called um it's the conditions of the solitary bird or five so immediately this jumped out to me as kind of like the jedi code so both in this you know the solitary term as well as these five conditions which are the you know, five conditions of the Jedi Code as well. Um, I I know, so the code was, you know, it was mentioned in Phantom Menace. I don't, it wasn't written out until Dark Disciple, but those were based off of Lucas's scripts, which is why I'm saying I'm starting with the reaching one first, but I still think it's worth mentioning. Um, So, all right, so it's first, so this is the the conditions of the solitary bird or five. First, that it flies to the highest point. So to me, this, this, was like the there is no motion, there is peace, you know, the highest point peace, this kind of like getting away from, I guess, just like, like kind of this this idea of transcending, you know, these like basic human emotions and, and be- becoming something that that's more than that. Um, the second that it does not suffer for company. So for me, this sounded like there is no passion, there is serenity, uh, not suffering for company and transcending translating into there is no passion. So this idea of being grounded in in these emotions that would tie you to a person. Um, The third, that it aims its beak to the skies. So this sounded to me like there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, this idea of looking to the skies or or trying to gain this higher understanding or, you know, knowledge. Um, And then the last two, I was a little, I couldn't exactly connect back, but I think they're worth mentioning. So it's the fourth, that it does not have a definite color. And the fifth, that it sings very softly. Um, the definite color one reminded me not necessarily of the code, but of that um, only Sith deal in absolutes. And then... Which, which yeah. is people do not uh, hesitate to point out is itself an absolute statement. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Fair. Um, no, yeah, I, I couldn't, again, I couldn't really tie back the other two, but I, I think just in general, eh, there, there, there were some some similarities here just in terms of like the general gist of what they were going for. So actually something surprised me um, the other day I was reading through uh, the old uh, uh, star Wars role-playing game materials. And I think I spotted the Jedi code in there, which is interesting because that would predate everything else. Yeah. But it's not even, not even Wikipedia mentions it. So I'm going to, I was going to see whether I could find it, but uh I can't uh, remember exactly where I found it, but you can continue. Um, no, yeah, that's interesting. And I know that there's like, what, there's two different versions. They're basically the same thing, though. But um, yeah, so outside of the poem, just kind of working off of this idea of solitary, there are other mentions of, um, so Don Juan is referred to as a sorcerer, as well as what this warrior is, which is very close to what the Jedi are. Um, so... And, and I know this idea of being like this solitary being is, is it comes from other religions as we were talking about. Um, but the book mentions like 
sensitivity matters very little. So it's this idea that like emotion will only get you into these troubled situations, which is is what we see with Yoda saying to Luke when he rushes off to save Han and Leia and Empire. And and, and Yoda, I I know you were saying like, well, Lucas said more Obi-Wan was Don Juan, um, but but Yoda is very much like this too. Um, Even more so, especially with the way he treats Luke. Um, mm-hmm. And as you and as we're going to get into, I think the most interesting part of this is not the things that we know we're directly or not directly, but but we're definitely uh, referencing um, Tales of Power and Castaneda's work. It would be the stuff in Last Jedi, which, for all we know, wasn't directly influenced, and uh, it's entirely possible that um, you could glean a lot of the same stuff from every all, like the entire genre of New Age literature that this spawned. Sure. So it's really hard to know for sure until unless you hear Ryan Johnson say that he definitely read it and was thinking about it. Um, that said, it doesn't really matter because the point of like the 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 thing about the the most authentic thing about the book that I could say for sure is that based on what I know about multiple other like similar religious undertakings and like spiritual quests and all that, it's like they are almost all kind of dealing with the same stuff and the idea of the like uh teacher who's trying to shock you into enlightenment is like omnipresent in like it's just that's a, that's a that's for whatever reason it is i mean th- frankly it's not just how like you like journey to enlightenment in various religious traditions it's also like kind of like your first day of boot camp if you join the army it's it's the whole idea is the same it's like you're you're trying to separate somebody and say no you're you uh in, in a sense one way or another the idea is like to break uh to break down the ego so you can you know stop thinking about yourself as this thing that's separate from everything and start seeing yourself as something that's a part of the bigger picture um so i found it it's uh so this is 1987 um oh. the jedi code the western games first edition role-playing game uh, the Jedi Code, there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no passion, there is serenity, there is no death, there is the Force. Um, so I think that was expanded upon later, um, but that's kind of, uh, I don't know. No, I, I think that's the version in Dark Disciple. And that also does appear, I believe, I can't guarantee this, but I believe it does appear in The Last Jedi verbatim, it's just it was in a different language. Um, no way, really? I missed yeah, that. Yeah, so you can barely hear it, but... Now, I don't know for sure, because what I, the only thing I know is that I think it was in one of Bresnikin's articles in Entertainment Weekly, but there was something about how when Ray goes into the tree, into the library, that there's like this, the music changes and there's like, they are not changes, but there's like a sound effect that's added to the background. And they wanted to give it like this otherworldly sound instead of just like a hollow echo type thing. And so they had some light, very, just barely discernible chanting. And mm-hmm. just for fun, they made sure that they said it's something from the expanded universe of like you know jedi lore some jedi text or sayings that were from like and i'm like that that's what it has to be you know so they 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 translated that to like who knows what like they probably put it in like google translate and turned it into sanskrit or something and then like chanted it and played it backwards that would be so cool so i don't now i think one day soon it will probably be confirmed by somebody exactly what it was but that's that is uh, a very likely candidate not that anyone would ever notice or care but it's interesting to think that this this thing still survives in in no small part because Pablo Hidalgo is a huge fan of the old role playing game. Um, he okay. is constantly referring back to it in all sorts of ways. But um, we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, this. Um, so I mean, I mean, should we describe like some kind of like highlights? Because I mean, we could. You, there's a lot to talk about, but like kind of. To, I mean, perhaps there's. Maybe yeah, the- so I mean, I have like the direct things that I think on a dialogue perspective were taken from it, um, as well as, again, I, I have a lot on that cave scene. One, because they're my favorite scenes in Star Wars, and two, mm. because there's a scene in Tales of Power, which I I don't know. I, I was saying this to you yesterday, but I, 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 there's yeah. some... Here, well, okay, let me let me first go through. So um, the the certain point of view line... I think comes from this. So this is a quote from Don Juan. He says, um, this is not the case from the point of view of the warrior's own perception, because in order to experience the world, a sorcerer, like every other man, has to recollect the act he has just performed, the event he has just witnessed, the experience he has just lived. So this is where I think we really see that that the Don Juan philosophy being pulled into Obi-Wan's character, um, as well as multiple times throughout the book there is that line we are luminous beings which yeah 
has to be obviously like Yoda's luminous beings. We luminous are beings are we? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then another thing that I just want to just touch on is this idea of the force streams and, and how they're, they're not entirely to be trusted and they're not absolute. I think it was really interesting. Probably my favorite passage from the last Jedi novelization was Ray's realization of how, untrustworthy force visions are um both with learning from how luke failed with ben um which i'll I'll get into when we really when when i start talking about luke but um you know also like she had her own kind of failure with her vision at, at least what it seems like right now like her story isn't over so who knows but um you know, but she just comes to this realization that these visions are the will of the force and, and they're not something that anybody can or or should attempt to control. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Yoda's whole thing on, you know, what is it? Always emotion. The future is, I may have butchered that one, right. but, um, and, and this really for me goes into that bigger conversation on the force and free will, which I don't want to get into, but anyway, so, so tales of power reads, um, Don Juan is doing what is called setting up dreaming, which, quote, consisted of a deadly game that one's mind played with itself, and that some part of myself, this is Castaneda speaking, was going to do everything it could to prevent the fulfillment of my task. That could include, Don Juan had said, plunging me into a loss of meaning, melancholy, or even a suicidal depression. So we've seen this, right? Like the visions that the Force sends, for example... Anakin with Padme's death, or Luke with Han and Leia and Empire and Trouble on Cloud City, or, you know, what Luke saw in Ben's head, and how we saw this feature that became really, like, this complete self-fulfilling prophecy, and in that, by fearing it, Luke caused it to be, um, at least partially. Again, that's a whole other conversation that I'm not touching right now, but... Uh, um, but essentially, yeah, so these dreams that, that can play into one's mind, depending on their point of view, and, and you know, their understanding of the Force versus really the, their own beliefs and, and emotions and, and it did include you know, whatever they're thinking at the time because we're dealing with human beings, right? So th- especially for Anakin and, and for Luke, this was the case. So, um, and, and this put them in this extreme state of melancholy and, and was because they, they took it too much onto themselves and they didn't look at it like, like Ray was able to look at it after she learned from the failure of everybody else that this is just, this just probably is not something to tamper with or like, really look into outside of what is the force trying to tell me. So I, I, right. I found that yeah. interesting that this, this same scenario gets set up with Castaneda's character, or I guess it is just Castaneda, but um, allegedly. Uh, yeah, for purposes, I mean, for, for purposes of this discussion, we can just talk about it as if it happened because the book cool. is, even if it's completely fabricated, the book in the people who originally were reading it in the seventies thought it was all basically true on some level. Um, and I, I kind of do believe that he knew some people like this and that he, cause it seems like he's has, like, there are other issues of like authenticity, whereas like this is, uh, he's like, you know, Don Juan is supposed to be a Yaqui Indian, you know, mystic, yet there are no like Yaqui words that are used anywhere in any of these books and things like that. And like people have actually gone and found, uh, Yaqui Indians and it's like there isn't anything specific to it. But then again, like if you meet some crazy person like Don Juan, um, even if Don Juan is a composite character, it's still like you're meeting like a person who is untrustworthy to the max. Like, you know, like they can say what they'll say. All, they're, I mean, he lies and, and makes stuff up constantly. Like, uh, like Don Juan does, like there's a big part mm-hmm. of it. just like, I'll just tell you, Oh, you're chasing something. Um, you know, like go out into the, there's like a kind of early on, there's like a, like a, journey into the cave type moment right where right no where, trust me i have a lot on that scene i'm yeah. very invested in the moth it was a moth yeah it was a moth well it was a man and then it was a moth <laughs> yeah so um but so like i mean you, you can treat it as a like i said let's like quasi nonfiction, right so it's it is it may and you know like it's it wouldn't be like the it's not like other uh religious thought is not very similar. Whereas like, you got to wonder whether the value of it is in its like factual truth or is the value in its like meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. And like, if, if to you, like the most important thing is that something literally happened exactly the way it was transcribed, then does that mean that the things in it are less true if they didn't actually happen the way they're transcribed? Like things can, there are different ways of being true. And I think that's a very Don Juan and Yoda esque thing to say, mm-hmm. but there's different kinds of like the truth of a story is, is uh, often, irrelevant like the uh, like it's factual truth is not necessarily the useful part um i i agree i mean i i love this as a metaphor um 
I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know too much about the New Age movement, which is probably where, where my hesitance comes in. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I see your point. Um, it, it, like, you can see, like, a different version of this that's also related to Star Wars in a weird way if you watch the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats. Oh, which uh, has Ewan McGregor in it. And he, uh-huh. he, yeah, so that whole thing is, th- it's different. Now, that is a highly fictionalized version of a uh, thing that was actually real, which is that there was a army researcher who was sent on, like, basically a reconnaissance mission into the, like, New Age hippie counterculture. And he came back to his, like, people and, and, like, tried to, started this newsletter called, like, the One World Army. And it had all these, like, New Age approaches to, to military force like you mostly it revolved around peacekeeping and how mm-hmm. this guy's ideas of how you can integrate the the philosophy behind this uh spiritual movement into like the winning hearts and minds type of thing and then the the the, the movie itself tries to show it has like a yuri geller character played by um uh, uh kevin spacey which is quite fitting at this uh you know, like now that we know more about him, but like it, who is shown like using the, like this to the dark side and in the movie version, like Ewan McGregor's in it. So of course they like talk about like these like spiritual warriors are called the Jedi and uh, they can walk through walls and do stuff like that. Um, well, you know, what's funny is like that sounds, or at least watching that movie, it reminded me a lot of um, an early fifties CIA project called project Stargate. And they were literally trying to, and there's unfortunately no details on it. Um, besides the fact that it definitely existed because the funding documents for it exist, but it hasn't been declassified yet. I, I don't, so a lot of these documents were burned. This was part of that, the big MK ultra like brain right. control and the CIA thing. But, um, I, I think they had these, they just haven't declassified them yet, but there was this thing where they were trying to use like ESP to spy on people in Russia without their spies leaving the U S right. I don't know what they found. But it existed. Yeah, yeah there, yeah, there, there were programs like that. It's kind of like the—I can't remember what it's called. I, I always forget its name, but it's a the something or other experiment that got Gots Gotsfield or something weird experiment. It's like ESP experiments that have been kind of going on um, various levels, like by less than reputable um, uh, psychologists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a field of parapsychology, which is its own like like weird thing you can read all about. It's like. I would borderline pseudoscience, but it's, it does all about ESP. It's like at the beginning of Ghostbusters. It's what you see Bill Murray doing. Um, okay. So I actually haven't him. seen Ghostbusters. I know. That's okay. I'm like, I oh, wow, like- this is the most like civil reaction when I tell people that for some reason it just hasn't happened yet. I have nothing against it. And most people are like, how dare you? <laughs> I don't really, I mean, I like it, but it's not like, it's not the best thing ever. Like it's, it's just like, it's a good, clever comedy that has a lot of heart to it. That's about it. Like, I don't like, there's nothing, it never really stuck with me the way other movies of the, t- like Wee's big adventure is the movie that I feel like I think about constantly as an adult for some reason, but, uh, which is another, I'm sure you haven't seen that either, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's like Tim Burton's first movie, uh, like first oh, feature. Wow. And it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, and it's like a movie I loved as a kid. That one stuck with me a lot more than Ghostbusters. And I, and I stand by that, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, as looking for like, it's just, you know, it's go, it's not star. It's not like it's saying you didn't see star Wars and that, that's a problem. That's a problem that needs to be fixed, but you don't have that problem. So I'm okay. <laughs> uh, Clearly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we've gone on like the biggest tangent on this point. Um, where the hell were we? Oh, okay. Yeah. So just let me, let me finish up this whole thing on the oh, general sure, sure. influences. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, there's also this, I think this idea of becoming one with the force also came from this book. Um, so when Castaneda is ready to leave, so at the very end, he's, you know, learned all he can learn and he's about to go off and become a warrior, a sorcerer, they're interchangeable. Um, so Don Juan tells him, if you choose not to return, you will disappear as if the earth had swallowed you. So I think that this is this this idea of and when he's saying if you choose not to return, it's if you choose to join this Nagual idea yeah. or this like this this realm that, that you can reach, but again it's like this abstract idea. So it's this idea of disappearing into the earth to become this this part of this this other realm, right? So I, I we see that with the Jedi when they die and become one with the Force, they do disappear into the Earth. Um, 
I yeah, also think. Oh no, go. Good. Oh, I was just saying. So I, I'm going to switch the subject, but so if if this is on this, because I'm going to go to like the dark light side inspiration. Okay. Well, um, go ahead. Okay, so let's see here. So yeah, so Lucas, I I think also got this understanding of the dark and light side of the force, and I know that that you could draw that back to a lot of things, right? But I'm just going to go over specifically what this book says about it. So this is um, again from Don Juan. So. Um, when the warrior finally encounters his power, he says that no one can tell what each warrior would do with it, it being this, you know, this this power to access this other realm. Um, perhaps you two will, he's talking to Castaneda, um, perhaps you two will roam peacefully and unnoticed on the face of the earth, or perhaps you will turn out to be hateful men, or perhaps notorious or kind. All that depends on the impeccability and freedom of your spirit. So I love this last line so much because it does elaborate on okay, here is this very powerful force that you have um, to guide you, but ultimately what you do with it is is like your freedom of spirit, right? But again, it's a rabbit hole I don't want to get down, but um, I think there is some inspiration here for that duality of the force and how people who handle the force dictate that and, and how the force in itself is not inherently good or bad. It's just how people choose to act on it. Um, and yeah, and so this this is all the general influences I have and the rest of it takes a deeper dive into Luke. Okay. So before we go into, cause that's kind of what I really want to talk about is just talking about Luke and how yeah. he treats Ray because that's, it's like the same and it's different for a very like important plot wise uh, reason. Um, but uh, I think you and I are going to disagree on this. We might. Yeah, but that's, that's okay. Cause I, I don't think Luke gets to this, like a Don Juan, like warrior, like that kind of stage until he dies in the last Jedi. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, that's, he's kind of, yeah. I mean, he's clearly disillusioned himself, but I will, we'll get into that. So um, I guess like what I would, so yeah, like just to go into, so, so as a segue into that, like just to talk about kind of the, the tricks that Don Juan plays on uh, Castaneda, are like very much in keeping with this idea of uh, like, you don't just like show up and say, I want to learn your mystic teachings. Like you've got to earn it and you've got to be kind of like tricked into recognizing things that your conscious brain will not accept. And that's, I think there's a line very, very early on in the book where he says something like that. Um, it is let's see, fortunately I don't have this um, highlight very well, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so there's this whole thing where the the chasing the moth and all that, and that's like a big trick. And then there's the other guy I can't remember his name, the other uh, sorcerer who was Don Juan's teacher. Don, oh, right, being um, with a G. It's like yeah, I, I I always I was I remember the word Geronimo. That's not what it is, but it's no, like that. Yeah. yeah. So there's the other guy who has a double, and that's another thing that comes into the Last Jedi. He like basically manifests a doppelganger, but there's this like whole thing about like they keep tricking. Like it's never like they basically don't want to don't want Castaneda to know whether he's really there or really not there. Like uh, this guy who shows up and he should be somewhere else. Like for some reason, Castaneda knows that he's on like the opposite end of Mexico right now. And when he shows up, it's like impossible. And so at first they say, oh, no, he ran all the way here. Like he has that spiritual warrior power. He can do that. And then later they say, no, it's a it's a thing. He can create a double. And then there's this other thing where there's a like, you know, Castaneda sees a. Uh, a uh, uh, person in the how do you pronounce that the chop chaparral? Oh gosh, I was going to ask you the same thing. That's okay. what I've been saying. It's I know the bushes. It, yeah, I know what it means. <laughs> yeah, just bushes. Like yeah, it's like scrabbly bushes out there. And he goes out and chases it and has like a a weird experience um, doing that. And then he finds out later he was chasing a moth, or that's what Don Juan tells him. And and then there becomes this whole thing about he's upset at first. Like, how could you trick me like that? Or why didn't you tell me? And all that kind of thing. But this is something that really like the reason why it's not impossible to say that Don Juan or that, uh, Castaneda could have come up with all this on his own is that it's, I mean, so the oldest thing I could find that relates to this is how much do you know about, um, the process of converting to Judaism? Oh God, nothing. Okay. So, it's uh, now it's I don't want to paint with a too broad a brush because I, there's like various different branches and philosophies sure, yeah. behind this. So it's like, I mean, I've never done this myself as well. So I'm not gonna, like, I can't speak from experience, but the idea is at least if you're going to convert to Orthodox Judaism, especially if you like marry an Orthodox Jew and you, and you're, you're going to convert the rabbi is supposed to turn you away 
three times before they'll let you do it. And so, uh, looking at the, um, for example, there's a, uh, a passage from the Talmud, which says our rabbis taught if at the present time, make this bigger. If at, if at the present time a man desires to become a convert, he is to be addressed as follows. What reason do you have for wishing to become a convert? Do you not know that the Jews at the present time are persecuted and oppressed, despised, harassed, and overcome by afflictions? If he replies, I know, and yet I am still unworthy of converting, he is accepted immediately and is given instruction in some of the minor and some of the major commandments. He is also told of the punishment for the transgression of the commandments. So right there, like the idea is like, you have to know what you're getting into and that like you view that, you know, in this case, it's talking about like, you know, the, um, the hardships and the, the, the millennia of persecution that the Jews have been um, so fortunate to enjoy in various parts of the globe. Uh, I'm being sarcastic. Um, the, um, the, I, I did catch that yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just making sure, not not you, but just like, just making, sometimes these things don't, it's like, oh my God, what's he saying? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. And it's like, it's just, they've, they've had to deal with a lot of crap sure. for a long time. And that's putting it very, very lightly. But um, the idea is like, if you say, oh, I know about all that, but I still feel like I'm unworthy of converting. It's like, you're saying the opposite. Like your mind has been properly primed for this. And then there's another one, this uh, Midrash from, um, which means it's part of the oral tradition. It was written down later, but it was passed down orally for a long time. So three times is it written in the book of Ruth, turn back corresponding to the three times that he would be convert is repulsed. Go return each of you to your, her mother's house. And uh, Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Turn back my daughters, go your way. And if he persists after that, he is accepted. Um, it, it's the same idea. And then it, it's, you know, and then uh, another very old religious tradition would be like uh, Buddhism and Zen Buddhism in particular has a lot of this stuff. Like there's all kinds of stories about people who go to like China or Japan, uh, Japan in the case of Zen Buddhism and try to like join a monastery and, and the way they're treated when they do that. And it's always something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll give you a problem and they'll say, don't come back until you've solved this problem. And you know, like the famous ones, like what's the sound of one hand clapping, which I think is one of those things that it's in the, in the original language would be, more puzzling. Um, but as Bart Simpson taught us, it's just, it's that sound. <laughs> it's like, no, Lisa, it's, it's, it's this, it's this. Um, but then like, you know, like, or, uh, for example, one, um, example that, uh, Alan Watts gives Alan Watts. is like a famous, he's dead now, but he was a famous like uh, lecturer and, and specialist in Buddhism and Hinduism. And he said like one of the people he knows was told to like, to tell the, 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 the monk who, or the teacher who, um, who you were before uh, your parents uh, met each other or what was your name before? And like, it's like an unsolvable question and you're supposed to, it's supposed to like just frustrate you to no end. You keep coming back thinking you have the answer and you keep getting turned away. Um, and there's also just like a, another tradition of like basically insulting people into enlightenment. Um, so I'm mm. going to read something from uh, the book Zen flesh Zen bones, which is a kind of, it's a, a somewhat famous, um, kind of compilation of like kind of Zen parables um, that was compiled by Paul Reps, who was like one of the people who brought uh, Zen Buddhism to the United States. Um, and so uh, this is number 57, the gates of paradise. And this is one of the shorter ones. I won't do the longer ones, but they're similar. So a soldier named uh, Nobushige came to Hakuin and asked, is there really a paradise in a hell? And Hakuin's a, a, a teacher, the monk, who are you? inquired Hakuin. He said, I am a samurai, the warrior replied. You? A soldier? exclaimed Hakuin. What kind of ruler would you have, would have you as his guard? Your face looked like that of a beggar. Nabushige became so angry that he began to draw his sword. But Hakuin continued, So you have a sword. Your weapon is probably much too dull to cut off my head. So as Nabushige drew his sword, Hakuin remarked, Here opened the gates of hell. And at these words, the samurai, perceiving... Um, these words, the samurai perceiving the master's discipline, sheathed his sword and bowed. Here open the gates of paradise, said Hakuin. So right there, it's one of my favorite stories from the book, but it's an example of like how you like teach somebody something by pissing them off royally <laughs> and risking your life in some cases. And it's uh, so, yeah, like, I mean, let's talk about Luke. And, and you know, I, I think everybody's has thought long and hard about how Yoda treats Luke. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I do want to touch on that, too, because I think a lot of what you're saying, as well as a lot of. Um, or a lot of like what you were saying earlier, um, both with your examples in religion, as well as just going back to this idea and tales of power of, of the moth, um, I think does really 
um, heavily back to Empire and that cave scene. But um, yeah, no, let's start with, with Ray and, and Luke. Yeah. So think about the one caveat I would put out there is that at least there's an interpretation that Luke what his top priority truly there's a garbage truck outside my house right now. No, it's so okay. you can so, hear this. Yeah, yeah, no, my my friend's cat has just discovered my door is closed, so I may need to kick her out. Oh. Because she's gonna start bitching. There she is. I would I, I would take a cat over a garbage truck, but I don't know, man. This one's annoying. Hi, Snickers. <laughs> That's not her name, I just call her that. She like will body slam into the door. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. So, um, Ray and Luke. Right. So the idea is like, first of all, like Luke is not necessarily trying to teach her anything, at least not at first. What he really wants is for her to go away as quickly as possible. Um, and the, like, now he could just kill her, which he won't do. Right. We all know like Luke. I mean, if you want to talk about it, Luke would never act like that. That's what he could in a sense, because he truly believes what he's doing is right, at least on some level. Mm-hmm. So, and he he truly does believe that he is going to make the galaxy worse if he if he if he teaches new Jedi and um so and that he is himself a flawed vessel who is unworthy of the task and that if he failed with his nephew there's no way he could hope to do any better and like I mean he's already done so much uh to create problems and he's repeated the mistakes of the past and um. It's, so there's there's a there's a good argument to be made that like he really does just want Ray to leave, full stop. But at a certain point, he does change his mind and says, "No, I'm going to teach her what she needs to know," which is like she already knows enough that she can. She's better off just doing this on her own. So at no point does he tell her, "Don't like turn your back on the force. Don't do this," or like give up the fight. Don't don't fight with the resistance. I don't think he ever says anything like that. In fact. We know from like the deleted scene about the, the big party that she runs to is that he's trying to teach her that like all that stuff that like her spirit of like, I just want to go out and like do good in the world is exactly what the moral compass she needs. And that the, the learning more about the Jedi ways would only confuse that. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite things about the the, the movie in terms of like, I'm not a big Jedi fan. Um, I, I like them in theory. But I, I think the prequel trilogy especially has turned me off to them. Um, it's the borderline but, character assassination, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it, finish what you have to say because I have a big rabbit hole That's in this it. one. But um, Okay, um, yeah, so I think this goes off this idea more so of not even just this idea of, of teaching people the way that Luke does and how, you know, you were saying ties back to different religions. But it's also this idea that I think of you have this – character who everybody thinks is like this Jedi warrior, right? And he doesn't see himself as that. I think it's, but I think it's also explicitly, he's not. And he's never has been, because he's always followed this moral compass that he has. Um, and, and it's always to good intentions, right? I mean, it was always to help Han and Leia, or it was always to, um, you know, save his father. So, um, but there's this idea, well, th- th- so there's several things in Tales of Power that Don Juan talks about that you need to end in order to um, uh, become this warrior. So one of them is this idea of stopping the internal dialogue and doing that is the key to the sorcerer's world. So he says that the rest of the activities are only props. All they do is accelerate the effect of stopping the internal dialogue. So how to do this is to um, erase personal history and this idea of acting without accepting rewards. Um and so this is so Don Juan said that in line with that rationale, he had rallied my interest around the idea of seeing, which properly understood was the act of dealing directly with the Nagual. Remember, that's like the force, um, at least in my interpretation, an act that has an unavoidable end result of the teachings, but an unattainable task is a task per se. So breaking that down. So Don Juan comes back to this idea of erasing personal history Um when he talks more about self-pity, which is something that Luke seriously harbors on Akatu. So this so Damon says, take self-pity, for instance. There is no way to get rid of it for good. It has a definite place and character in your island, a definite facade, which is recognizable. One changes the facade by altering the use of the elements of the island. Self-pity was useful to you because you either felt important and deserving of better conditions, better treatment, or because you were unwilling to assume responsibility for the acts that brought you to the state that elicited self-pity. Um, and, and I want to emphasize this one because, like, this is literally Luke in The Last Jedi to a T. Because he doesn't assume responsibility, right? Like, he 
goes to this island because he, he, I mean, he understands that he fails, but even so, he lies to Ray. Like, he tells, he doesn't tell her the truth. Ben's the one who ends up telling her the truth. Um, so Dalmon continues, um, erasing personal history and its three companion techniques are the sorcerer's means for changing the facade of the elements of the island. For instance, by erasing your personal history, you have denied use to self-pity. In order for self-pity to work, you had to feel important. Um, this I, I want to stop and highlight because that's another thing that sets Luke off, right? Because he's always in this idea that I was a legend and this is what led to my downfall. Um, so he, he harbors all of these, um, emotions and these understandings of himself that, that very much stray from this idea of becoming a warrior, which as you know, we both established just like this idea of being a Jedi. So, um, so continuing. So when those feelings were altered in some way, it was no longer possible for you to feel sorry for yourself. Um, so Don Juan explained that in order to erase personal history, three other techniques were taught. They were losing self-importance, assuming responsibility, and using death as an advisor. The idea was that without the beneficial effect of those three techniques, erasing personal history would involve the apprentice in being shifty, evasive, and unnecessarily dubious about himself and his actions. Um, so let me break this down a little further here. So according to Tales of Power, this this other world, um, this this Nagual idea, um, can only be truly unlocked, and a man can only become a warrior um, by by changing the state of mind, by ceasing this internal dialogue, um, specifically this idea of self pity and these personal feelings that that people carry with them, and um, they should also, on top of this, act always without expecting anything in return. So this sounds very much like the Jedi. So. All of this Luke Skywalker is absolutely terrible at, um, because Luke, and, and really it's, it's, it's what makes him an interesting character. I mean, he carries with him a very strong internal dialogue that, that dictates how he thinks about other people, you know, specifically the people he loves, and more importantly, how he views, you know, himself. And, and as I was saying, this idea of this legacy. And, and this legacy is really like acting while expecting this reward of being the hero and, and this burden on his shoulders that he believes he carries and he doesn't want to let go of. And, a lot of like the, the the scene on crate is him realizing that there's more important things than just like his own again like his own self pity and, and this idea that he he not only failed Ben and his sister but like he failed the world and um, he has just this very strong sense of just complete self importance. I mean, he says it himself because I was Luke Skywalker, a legend. Um, so yeah, Luke's entire arc is is really this idea of. Um, you know, I, I, I failed everybody. And, and this stems from this emotions and this thought process that, um, you know, Luke never let go of because like, he's, he's always one with this mentality. And I mean, because when he had it in the original trilogy, it led to great things. I mean, he saved his father, you know, the, yeah. the empire was destroyed. So this is really, he never listened to Yoda because what consequences did he see? So yeah, finally I mean it's biting him in the ass. So I hope you're liking the conversation um, so far. It actually kept going uh, much longer. It's about, I cut it about in half. And uh, because the second part of the conversation between me and Katie that we did was uh, was kind of strayed away from the book and was dealing more with how the book relates to The Last Jedi and, and doesn't relate and in dealing a little bit more with like Luke's journey and all that stuff. And it goes some interesting places, but it was all um, kind of springboarded off of this uh, Castaneda conversation. This really is um, one of the interesting little curios in Star Wars history that is underexplored, probably underappreciated. And it's interesting. And it's another way that you can use uh, this uh, funny, uh, silly space opera movie series to kind of go off and explore other directions, other other areas, other things that you probably would be a little bit interested in. Um, you just never knew about it. And this is this is how we do it. This is what we do. This is what we bring to the table. And, and I, I should say this is what uh, uh, the, the amazing Miss Katie McCourt brought to the table. She is kind of like an informal partner in this podcast now going forward. So expect to hear a lot more from her. She's got an open invitation for whatever interesting thing she wants to talk about. Uh, we will do a show about it. And uh, I have a feeling that there will be many interesting shows to come. So thank you for listening again. 
as always, I, I implore you to to get on iTunes, subscribe to the Wookie Genome Project. And we are back. We are back in business. The doors are open. Uh, help yourself to some coffee. There are um, take a brochure on your way out the door. The, you know, we're, it's it's uh, it's it, but it, it's ever so important. I cannot stress this enough. Get on iTunes, even if you don't use it normally. Subscribe to the Wiki Genome Project. Uh, give us a five star review. And if you ask a question in that five star review, I'm going to see it. And I'm going to answer it. If you uh, like uh, to hear me talk and, and also like video games, you can check out my other podcast, the Hardcore Gaming One on One podcast. That's a that's a that's a good show. We just put up our hundredth episode, one hundred episodes of this thing. Um, so it's been quite a ride there too. And uh, I'm also working on some some cool stuff with uh, with uh, your boy Hawes Burkhart and uh, Will Witten of the Blue Harvest podcast. It's, uh, there's some amazingly cool stuff in the works. It's a great time to be a nerd. Um, so anyway, until next week. So long, sucker! sucker. Bye.